0: I'm Jill, and this is the Sober Powered Podcast. I'll tell you how I finally stopped chasing the buzz and what I've learned along the way. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and if you're new here, I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. If that sounds interesting, please subscribe. Today, I'm going to talk about nature versus nurture. I'll discuss the impact both genetics and our environment has on us. Like usual, I have a lot of studies to tell you about today. You'll learn what epigenetics is, how our experiences influence our genes, and how stress plays a role. I will also explain what an ACE score is and how our childhood impacts our mental and physical health as adults. So let's dig in. A meta-analysis is the most powerful type of primary literature. It's a statistical analysis of many scientific studies, so it pulls information from many sources to draw a conclusion. Based on a meta-analysis of 13 twin and 5 adoption studies, it was concluded that alcohol use disorder is approximately 50% heritable. Twin studies have been conducted on a few psychological disorders, and the results are really interesting. For major depression, 6 twin studies produced an approximate 30% heredibility, while 12 twin studies showed schizophrenia is 81% heredible. These studies relied on personal interviews and official records for evidence of these disorders. Genes can contribute to about half your risk for developing a problem with alcohol, and the other half is environmental. Before we move on, I need to explain a bit about what genes are. Genes are pieces of DNA that tell the body how to make a certain protein. You can think of them as instructions. Just because your genetics put you at risk for developing a problem with alcohol doesn't mean you actually will. Our genes are not turned on at the same time. Some genes are turned on by environmental factors. This is called epigenetics. Epigenetics studies how DNA markers influence how and when cells express certain genes. We pick up these epigenetic markers throughout our lives as we interact with our environment. Genes may not be turned on, until they're triggered by an environmental event. A common and powerful trigger is early childhood neglect. Epigenetic changes can also be passed on to our children. I read an interesting study where researchers exposed mice to cherry blossoms and then gave them a little shock. Eventually, just smelling the cherry blossoms would be enough to make the mice afraid. They were anticipating the shock. What was interesting about this experiment, though, was the children and grandchildren of these mice even displayed fear when exposed to cherry blossoms. And they weren't exposed to cherry blossoms throughout their childhood, so only as an adult. They were actually born with more cherry blossom-detecting neurons in their noses and had more brain space devoted to picking up the scent. So how our body adjusts to trauma can be passed down. In the 1940s, supplemental oxygen administration became a popular practice for premature infants. Too little oxygen results in a higher rate of brain damage and mortality. Doctors noticed that increasing oxygen levels changed the infant's breathing pattern to a normal rhythm. Unknown to the doctors, there's a causal relationship between oxygen administration and a condition known as retinopathy of prematurity. By 1953, this condition had blinded around 10,000 infants worldwide. In 1954, a randomized clinical trial identified that it was the supplemental oxygen causing the blindness. The optimal amount of oxygenation necessary to treat premature infants without any negative consequences is still not clear today. The point of this story is that the genes that contribute to retinopathy of prematurity would never have been turned on had there not been an excess of oxygen. This is an example of an environmental factor controlling genes. Stress is a big environmental trigger for gene regulation. It can change the amount of proteins made by genes involved in your immune system, and therefore you might get sick more easily when you're stressed out. Regularly drinking way too much alcohol can cause a specific gene Known as TACE, T A C E, to be downregulated, meaning that it's expressed less than it should be. Taste protein is supposed to help another protein to do its job. And too little of that protein changes the level of folate in our blood, and low folate levels may cause depression. There's no difference in the rates of alcohol metabolism between Native Americans and Caucasians. And overall, the two races share very similar genetics. Despite this, more Native American people die of alcohol-related causes than any other ethnic group in the U.S. So this is environmental, too. So they have very similar genetics as white people, but they have higher rates of alcoholism. Additionally, half the genes that are involved with familial or inherited cancer are turned off when pollutants in the environment affect these proteins. Because they're turned off, these genes cannot suppress tumor formation or repaired DNA. Last week we talked a lot about serotonin. I discussed how there are different generic variants for the serotonin transporter and that having the gene for the shorter version is linked to alcohol-induced aggression. The shorter version doesn't produce as much transporter as the longer version. There have also been studies looking at the epigenetics of this transporter, Two studies from 2006 and 2007 found that a stressful environment enhanced the downsides of having the shorter variant. They found that having the short variant was associated with more frequent and heavy drinking as well as drug use in college students who have experienced multiple negative events in the past year. They also found that having the shorter variant made a person more vulnerable to early alcohol use and this risk was stronger in mistreated children. On the other side, the Mannheim study of children at risk found that the long variant was associated with more hazardous drinking in men who had early psychological or social stress and or men who were currently experiencing high levels of stress. So either variant, depending on who you are and what your life is like, could be harmful. I haven't talked a ton about dopamine yet, but there is one dopamine receptor that is heavily studied in addiction research. It's called the dopamine type 2 receptor, or DRD2. There are variants for this receptor too, and having the DRD2A1 variant is linked to higher alcohol-related problems in the presence of stress. Another molecule called monoamine oxidase, or MAO, helps to regulate levels of dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine in the brain by degrading them. A 2008 study found that having the low-activity variant was associated with alcoholism, specifically antisocial alcoholism, but only for women who experienced childhood sexual abuse. Overall, we all carry different variants of genes which can be turned on or off depending on our environment and what we have experienced in life. I think the easiest example to understand out of all of the studies I discussed so far is the study about the MAO gene. Maybe you have the low activity variant, but because you didn't experience childhood sexual abuse, this gene was never triggered. Someone could carry around this gene all their lives, but never develop antisocial alcoholism. Just because we have certain genetics doesn't make us doomed to have a terrible life. The common theme that researchers have found from twin studies is that environments that are more controlled tend to reduce genetic influences. So more controlled means more strict. On the other hand, less controlled environments allow greater opportunity for epigenetic effects to take place because we may be exposed to the wrong type of friends, go to parties with alcohol young, and even be allowed to drink at home. Beliefs about alcohol, self-esteem, attitude towards school, parental expectations, and family disruption all contribute to how our genes will be regulated. Our alcohol problem will always begin with some type of environmental thing. It's not triggered by genetics. This could be trauma, work stress, relationship stress, who your friends are, lack of parental supervision, and many other things. Where someone might turn to food or drugs in response to these situations, we turn to alcohol and something just clicks. Our genetics make it easier for us to handle a ton of alcohol and the reward pathway in our brains go crazy for it. So it becomes the perfect coping mechanism. So remember from the endorphins episode that some people release more endorphins when they drink and some people have naturally lower levels of endorphins which are corrected by drinking. So if you're like that and you have a traumatic event and start drinking your drinking is going to be reinforced more than someone else. For me, as soon as I began drinking at 22, it was immediately a problem. It was very clear I couldn't drink like other people, and I'd push my drinking past the limit into sickness, blackouts, and passing out at every opportunity. I think that the problem was always in there, but had no reason to come out because I wasn't drinking. There were likely a lot of events from my Childhood and early adulthood that contributed to my out-of-control drinking. And I believe it's highly likely that I have some form of genetic susceptibility to enjoying alcohol more than regular people. So that contributes to it as well. These traumatic events that I've been discussing are called adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. Childhood trauma can be assigned an ACE score, and a higher score puts you more at risk for certain issues. Some events that are considered adverse childhood experiences include abuse or neglect, exposure to domestic violence, having a parent with a mental illness or substance use disorder, bullying, or losing a parent or being removed from the home by Child Services. For each type of abuse, you get one point and that's how your score is calculated. You can take a quiz online to get an estimate of your A score and I'll link one in the show notes for you guys. This obviously isn't a tool to self-diagnose or explain away your own issues, but it could be something that's useful to discuss in therapy. It could help you reflect more on your own life and see the areas that you need to work through. I love therapy and I highly recommend it to everyone. The reason that I love it so much is because your therapist is able to help you make connections between things that you wouldn't be able to see yourself. Making connections can help you process your feelings and let go of your pain. Most of the research on ACE score and issues later in life has come from the original CDC Kaiser Permanente Adverse Childhood Experiences study. It was the most prominent investigation to date on how childhood abuse and neglect can have an effect on adult health and well-being. Data was collected from 1995 to 1997 from over 17,000 participants who are mostly white, middle and upper middle class, college educated people from San Diego with good jobs who all belong to the Kaiser Permanente Health Maintenance Organization. And I have no idea if I'm saying that right, but we're just going to go with it. The higher your A score is, the more likely it becomes for you to experience mental health issues or even physical health issues later in life. People with an ACE score of five or greater are 10 times more likely to have addiction issues. People with higher scores are also more likely to experience depression. Higher ACE scores also correlate to physical health issues, like a higher likelihood of cancer, diabetes, or heart disease. In the US, about 60% of adults have experienced one ACE, and 25% have experienced three or more. This doesn't mean that because you had a rough childhood that somehow that's going to cause cancer Or heart disease in your body. What it means is that we typically take on behaviors to cope that are not healthy that would then lead to cancer, diabetes, or heart disease. So for example, excessive drinking is linked to many cancers. There's a lot of information that links adverse childhood experiences to addiction and other mental health issues. But this study reflects a correlation, not a causation. So just having a certain ACE score does not make you destined to develop addictions or other mental health issues. Other factors that contribute to addiction are income, experience level, and access to resources. This is just another reason to reduce the shame and stigma around addiction because children have no control over their home environment or their opportunities. We need to have more compassion for people in these situations and support them in learning better coping mechanisms. Based on this study, having an A score of 4 or higher increases your likelihood for hepatitis by 240%, depression by 460%, and attempted suicide by twelve hundred and twenty percent. If your A score is five or above, the likelihood of getting prescribed an antidepressant sometime in your adult life is basically a hundred percent. The chances of sexual assault also increase the higher your A score is, with 32% of people with a score of four or above being sexually assaulted as an adult, compared to 19% for people with a score of three. The reason A score impacts adult health and well being is because when children are overloaded with stress hormones, they're frequently in fight, flight, or freeze mode. This makes it way more difficult for them to learn in school, trust adults, or develop healthy relationships with peers. To relieve their negative feelings, it's really easy to turn to quick fixes like nicotine, alcohol, pot, meth, lots of sex partners, and unhealthy eating behaviors. So you shouldn't blame your genetics for anything. You shouldn't use it as an excuse It's part nature and part nurture, and it's definitely not our fault that we have this problem, but we do have to own it and take responsibility for it. It's just something that we have that we are responsible for making better. There have been many studies on people with a history of alcohol abuse and even with twins that show there are some genes that make you more at risk for developing problems with alcohol. However, from twin studies, it is estimated that the heredity risk is around 50%. So remember, the remaining half is contributed to environmental factors, not just your childhood, also your adulthood. In other words, you can inherit genes that make you more susceptible to developing a problem with alcohol, but the way that you're raised, your lifestyle as an adult, and the people you spend your time with also play a factor. In my own experience, my brother and I have the same parents and we grew up in the same home. We have very similar genetics. I developed a problem with alcohol, but my brother is the most responsible drinker I've ever met. Even though he may be genetically predisposed to problems with alcohol and grew up in the same environment I did, he doesn't have an issue. It's not necessarily your fate. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you can't tell, a ton of work goes into preparing for each episode. If you're loving the pod, I'd really, really appreciate you leaving me a review on iTunes. It helps me out so much. And with that, I will talk to you next week.